Man, the vacation was good for our choir. You guys were awesome this morning. Did you just spend your whole vacation practicing? And Thank you, guys. They just got back from Port Aransas. Is that right? So we were all jealous looking at your Facebook posts on the beach while we were getting rain here, which was nice. I'm grateful for the rain, aren't you? Problem is, I'm dying like from a... I'm dying a death from a thousand mosquito bites right now. I don't know if anybody's with me, but that's the only problem with all that rain. It was swarms of mosquitoes mowing the lawn, going to the football game. So if you see me scratching randomly, there's a reason for that. But it was worth it, well worth it. Well, good morning, Lamisa. Welcome to First Methodist. We are going through the Sermon on the Mount which is Matthew chapters 5 through 7. That's the series that we're in. We've got one more week after this one. And so then we'll go to a new topic. But I was asked in advance this morning not to step on your toes today. And I just remind everyone, remember, I'm the one who got it first. But we're getting to the good part of the Sermon on the Mount. You know, it's like the good cop, bad cop, or the, you know, the spank and cuddle technique when you're parenting. You know, we're getting to the good part this week. You know, we've been talking about the qualities Jesus wants to grow in our hearts, our minds and hearts, which is the Beatitudes. We were talking about uh, the last week some of the roadblocks we're going to experience on the way to cultivating those attributes. This week, we're going to talk about the means the God-ordained means that God has given us by which we receive energy or power or fuel to maintain progress on the long, hard road. You know, it's been described, the, the road of the long, hard road, the road of discipleship, the road that leads us to cultivating the Beatitudes in our minds and hearts, what God calls perfection, It's been described as a long obedience in the same direction. Doesn't that sound right? Discipleship is a long obedience in the same direction. And so many times people find uh, along the road, boredom is a challenge, uh, temptation is a challenge, uh, other things seek to get us derailed from making progress on the narrow path and diverting our life to taking the easy road, where do we find the motivation? The inner motivation, the inner strength to keep making progress on the long, hard road, Jesus is going to give us some instructions, some specific things he has ordained by which we receive power from God to continue making progress. Now, here's an important precursor to this message. Because if you're like me, I'm a performance-oriented person, right? My, my thinking is, if I perform a certain way, I ought to obtain a certain result. And we, wanna, we don't want to slip into that trap of getting into a performance mentality when it comes to our relationship with God, because that's not how it works. So, uh, just a precursor before we get into this information. Everyone understands, and if you don't, everyone needs to understand. We all need to be reminded, I cannot earn God's love. Is that right? 
I cannot improve on God's love. Listen, God's love is perfect. Amen? Amen. God's love is perfect. There is nothing you can do to add to God's love or to take away from God's love. His love is perfect. You can't add to it. You can't subtract from it. The only thing we can do is receive it and enjoy it. Is everybody with me on that? It's an important point. Whenever we talk into uh, the, 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 the means by which God has prescribed for us to receive grace, we're not trying to earn God's love or affection or favor. God's love is 100% free for all, to all, and in all. And so that isn't what we're talking about. What we're talking about is the means by which God has prescribed that we can make ourselves available to receive more grace. Now, that's a word we use a lot in the Methodist church, the word grace. It's a, it's a good word. I think it's important to define it because sometimes it's a lot like love. We use it so often that we really forget what it really means. And so let's talk about that word grace. Grace is getting something from God that you don't deserve. We typically call it unmerited favor. Getting something from God that you don't deserve. It's free. Now, that's different from mercy. Mercy is not getting something from God that we do deserve, right? Those are both good things. I'm grateful for both of those things. What we're talking about is grace today, which is God's ability made freely available to you and I. It's power. Grace is power. It is God's ability given freely to us, but while it's free, we have to do some things to make ourselves available to receive it. Are you with me? And so these are the things we're going to talk about today and next week. This is going to be two weeks. I thought I'd save the good stuff for last and give us two weeks to kind of give us a breather from having our toes stepped on together. These are the God-ordained means by which we make ourselves available to receive more grace from God. And it is by grace and grace alone that we make progress down the long, hard road. And so the means of grace that we're going to see uh, given to us by Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapter 6 and 7, are to give through serving, to give financially, to pray, to forgive and bless our adversaries, to fast, and then hearing and practicing the word of God. These are the means that Jesus gives us in the Sermon on the Mount by which we can make progress down the long, hard road, by which we can grow the fruit of the Beatitudes in our minds and hearts. I like to describe it like this. Anybody else here like to uh, have a nice green lawn? I know that's difficult in La Mesa, Texas. Anybody here like to have a nice green lawn? One thing I've learned in the process of home ownership, I've had successes and I've had failures with the lawn. Anybody else with me? 
you know, growing Bermuda is a good thing to do around here. <clears throat> One thing about Bermuda is if you fertilize that Bermuda and you water it regularly, it gets nice and thick, right? And the benefit of that is the Bermuda gets so thick, it's hard for the weeds to grow, right? So here's, what, here's how I'd like to describe this. It's like the, the Sermon on the Mount lifestyle, cultivating the Beatitudes, traveling down the road to perfection. It's a lot like growing that lawn. We want the good stuff to grow, the Bermuda. So what do we need to do? We need to fertilize that Bermuda and water it, right? And we also need to put uh, sometimes some little chemicals on the weeds to get them to go away. And so this is kind of like what we're doing. We want the Beatitudes to grow in our hearts. The problem is those things don't grow very easily in our hearts. You want to know what grows easily in our hearts? The weeds, things like anger and lust and unforgiveness, those things that Jesus warned us about. Those things find fertile ground in our hearts. So we have to be really intentional. If we want the Beatitudes, they will only grow if we're intentional and we do it on purpose. The Beatitudes will only grow in our minds and hearts if we're intentional and we put forth effort and we do it on purpose. If we do nothing, guess what will grow very easily and nicely in the garden of our hearts? The weeds. <clears throat> and so we're going to be looking, we're going to start in Matthew chapter 6. I'm going to read verse 1. The first thing Jesus wants us to keep in mind as he gives us the prescription for growing the good stuff in the garden of our hearts, making ourselves available to receive the grace of God, the very first thing he wants to warn us about is our motives. So let's look at chapter 6, verse 1. Be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. Now, there's two types of people in the world. And, of course, Jesus goes on to give some examples of what religious leaders would have done in his day to draw attention to themselves. There's two types of people in the world. There's the type of person that's overly concerned with other people thinking positive thoughts about them. Are you one of those people who are overly concerned about being thought well of in the community, in your workplace, in the church? There's that type of person. Then there's another type of person. There's the type of person that's overly afraid of being thought negatively about in their spheres of influence. Two different motivations, but it all comes from the same thing, the fear of man being more concerned with what people think than what God thinks. What type of person are you? You know, both of those things are bad. And in that scenario, I always like to quote one of my favorite prophets from the Old Testament, Dr. Phil. You guys know Dr. Phil? Good West Texas boy? He's got some good things to say. I, it's just a, a good old country and western saying Dr. Phil has that sheds some light on that whole fear of man thing. You know, you'll stop worrying about what other people think about you when you realize how little they do. Isn't that true? 
You know, the, the, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus wants us to, to really examine our motives as we do the things that God is calling us to do in order to receive more grace. What are your motives? And listen, church, everyone has mixed motives. And so our motives are something we need to constantly keep in mind and work on and examine. And Jesus would say, we need to be careful that when we're doing these things, the thing that that primarily motivates us is I really care about what God thinks. I'm not going to concern myself with what other people think because you can't control that. And many times people are going to think what they want to think, aren't they? No matter how hard you try, you know, no matter how much you try and explain yourself, people are going to think what they want to think. I'm going to concern myself primarily, and if I can, exclusively with what God thinks. I want his eyes to be on me as I'm doing these things. A lot of times in the church, we go about doing things, and we want to get recognition for it from other people. And a lot of burnout in the church, this is where burnout comes from. We do things consistently over time, and we look up and we realize nobody's really paying attention. Nobody really seems to care or appreciate what I'm doing for the church and in the church. And you know, it's, it's unfortunate if uh, the church isn't grateful for your faithful service. Many of you have done things for years in this church, and you just do it silently behind the scenes and And I would just encourage you, God sees everything that you do that is motivated by a love for him. Not one thing that you do that's motivated because you want God to be proud of you, you want God to be pleased with you, you do it because you love him. Not one thing is not recorded in his book. And so I I just want to encourage you this morning, if if you're that person, and I know there are many of you sitting out there, if you're that person, God sees it, and Jesus is going to tell us that if we do things with those motives, we will be rewarded uh, in some way by God for doing that. Let's look at the scripture. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 7, excuse me, Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. I'll get into more of the specifics of those individual things this week. We're really doing kind of a, ground, uh, a groundbreaking sermon this week on this new part of the Sermon on the Mount. Let's look at Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Let's look at verse 22. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Now, 
Now, church, let's talk about that for just a minute. Jesus is asking us to examine what are your eyes focused on? What are the eyes of your heart focused on? And of course, my point, one of my points last week was that our imagination is what that's referring to. What are you doing with your imagination? And you know, Jesus would say, if your imagination is focused on the things of this world, what you have, what other people think, these types of things, whether or not you have comforts and pleasures and security, if your imagination is focused on these things, that's where your heart will be and that's where your treasure will be. You know, it says in, in Colossians, set your mind on things above where Christ is seated, not on earthly things. We are directed to set the eyes of our heart, our imagination on, on eternal things. You know, the problem I found is many times <clears throat> that's difficult for people to do. I think it's difficult for all of us to do. It's part of the difficulties of the long, hard road is to not get focused on this life here and now, what I have, what I want, who's watching, whether or not I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have security and comfort in this life. These are the things that just demand our immediate attention, and it's really easy to get our minds focused on those things. And on the other hand, I found it's really difficult to get our minds, our imaginations, really and truly set on things above and I'm convinced the reason that is is because our imaginations are not adequately populated with good, quality, in-depth, religious information. You know, it's been said, I think it's true, if we don't think about God, if we don't think about the Bible fully, and correctly, we won't think about it at all. It's been said, and I think it's true, if we don't think about eternity or the next age or where things are going fully and correctly, we won't think about it at all. And the problem is, if that's true, by default, your imagination is going to go somewhere and it's probably going to go to the things of this world and it's going to lead you to the easy road and off of the long, hard, difficult road. Let's look at uh, the scripture again. <clears throat> Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. And Jesus says that throughout uh, chapter 6 here when he's talking about praying or fasting or whatever it is. Your father who sees what you do in secret or with the eyes of your heart on him will reward you, he will reward you in various ways. And so I want to encourage you with the various ways that God rewards us when we're consistent and faithful to do the things he calls us to do, to give through serving, to give financially, to pray, to forgive and bless our adversaries, to fast, to hear and practice the word of God, when we do these things consistently and faithfully, God rewards us in various ways. And I want to talk about a couple of those ways as we kind of wind up the message here this morning. 
Shelly gave me plenty of time this morning. All right. We might get home to have lunch before the Cowboys game today. Let's look at some of the rewards. We'll get into some of those practices specifically next week. Let's look at some of the rewards, some of the ways that God rewards us as we practice these things consistently and faithfully. Number one, Matthew 7. I'm going to read verses 7 through 11. This is the ask, seek, and knock passage. Matthew 7, verses 7 through 11. Ask, and it will be given to you. And the tense in the original language here is ask and keep asking. Knock and keep knocking. There's a persistence to it. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened. In other words, we have to take some initiative and put forth some effort to get a response. Verse 8, for everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? And so here clearly Jesus is referring to our circumstances, our external circumstances. You know God cares about your circumstances? Now this isn't, don't worry, this isn't going to be a Joel Osteen sermon this morning. But listen, God cares about whether or not you are prosperous. Let's define prosperity. Prosperous is you have enough to meet your needs. You have enough to plan for things like retirement. You have enough to give and to help others who are in need. God cares about whether or not you have those things. Are you with me? And there is nothing wrong with being concerned about those things. Jesus said we're not to worry about those things. It doesn't mean that we don't have some concern about those things. God cares about your external circumstances and a part of the reward that we get from being faithful at doing the things that Jesus calls us to do is God will provide for or take care of our external circumstances. And he tells us don't get anxious about that. Don't get focused on it. Simply be faithful, serving God with the eyes of your heart on him and you're not gonna have to worry about any of that stuff. Doesn't that feel good? I mean, if you really believe that, if you really rest in it, that's a very good feeling to know. If I just focus on God and being obedient to him and faithful and following him, I don't even have to worry about that stuff. It's going to get taken care of. That's something that we can count on in Scripture. Now, God isn't promising us Learjets and Corvettes like the TV preacher will tell you. If you send this check, you'll get. That's not what's going on here. But you can, rest, you can rest secure. God is going to care about and take care of your external circumstances and my external circumstances. Let's go to point number two. Another way God rewards us. He rewards us with internal blessings. Internal blessings. Our heart 
encounters God. Now remember the persistence, ask and keep asking. It's not going to necessarily happen immediately. Ask and keep asking, knock and keep knocking. If we're persistent in seeking God, God will touch our hearts. He will tenderize our heart and he will energize our spirit to do that which we can't do on our own. I want to show you a couple of verses of scripture in regards to that and kind of parse a word there that isn't, it doesn't come through in the English translation very well, and it's a very interesting word. I'm going to read to you from a couple of verses of scripture, Philippians 2, 13. This might require my glasses to get busted out. Sorry. My wife tells me I need to get some different reading glasses because I look like Clark Kent in these. (laughs) (laughs) Philippians 2, verse 13. For it is God who works, that's grace, it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. That's an internal blessing that we receive more of when we do the things that Jesus tells us to do in the Sermon on the Mount. And I want to parse that word works just a little bit because the Greek word is energeo. Are you proud of me that I pronounced that correctly? I'm not even sure if I did, but you don't, you're not either. So that's why you just say it with confidence, and no one knows any different. Those of you who teach the Bible, you get to those difficult names, just act like you know what you're talking about. Nobody's going to know any better. Energeo. It's similar to our word energy, right? It is God-imparting power to our inner man to will or to want to and to act, to follow through according to his good pleasure. Listen, that is a powerful thing. Whenever we do the things Jesus taught us to do, we're making ourselves available to receive energy, to receive power, to receive ability that we don't have to do what we can't do. And a lot of that is just plain old changing, overcoming hurts, habits, and hang-ups, actually making an impact on my surroundings and the people around me. We are receiving power from God to do that which we cannot do if we faithfully do the things that Jesus calls us to do. We are imparted, we are energized, we are enlivened, God works in us. Now listen, it's not always obvious. It's rarely dramatic. It's just like that meal you ate, you know, two days ago. What did you have for lunch two days ago? Anybody answer that question? Hardly any of us can, but guess what? That meal was important, wasn't it? That meal did its work. Your body has energy that it needed because of that meal. God's God's power, if we're faithful and consistent, we are receiving power. If we're doing it with the eyes of our heart on him, we're coming with expectancy or faith, expecting God to show up and meet us, then opening up and actually focusing on him to receive something. 
You know, sometimes people go through the emotions uh, of things and they're doing it out of a sense of guilt. Anybody here like that? You show up to church because you feel guilty for not coming. You read your Bible because you feel guilty for not reading it. You pray because you feel guilty for not praying. Anybody here ever functioning from those motivations? I see some head shaking. I'll call that good. Okay. Most people do. Most people do. And I would say this. If we approach God just to check something off of our guilt box, okay? I'm not going to say that's a bad thing, but I will say this. There are limited dividends that you're going to find returned on those types of motivations. If we come to God and we're actually going to allow ourselves to focus whether or not uh, we do it, say, as consistently as we would like, it's better to come to God and focus and expect to receive something and open ourselves up to him and actually get an impartation from him than just to check something off of our box so we can move on down the road. Are you with me, church? Because there are people who do these things with the wrong motives, and there's all kinds of wrong motives. There are people who do these things consistently over time with the wrong motives, and they never change. And you know, transformation is what God's going for, not just transformation of you, but you actually partnering with him to transform the world. That's actually what he's going for. And so we need to be careful of our motives on a lot of different levels. God really cares that we receive something from him. And and you'll find whenever you do that, whenever you're imparted with energy, with life, not only when you do things with God privately, but when you serve him publicly, you'll find whenever you do it, with, with the right motives, with the right set of expectations by faith, you will feel his power flowing through you. And what that's going to feel like is you'll feel pleasure on the inside. You'll feel good about what happened. It'll feel good. Is it okay if I talk about feelings? Listen, there's nothing wrong with feelings, church. It will feel good. Let's look at the last way that God rewards us. There are external rewards, there are internal rewards, and there are eternal rewards. Our destiny in the age to come is affected and enhanced by what we do now. If the eyes of my heart are on God, Many times, my primary reward, the biggest part of my reward, is something I will receive, not in this life, but in the next life. And the varieties of the ways in which that will be manifest, the degrees to which it will be manifest, are as various as as they are in this life. And I will say this, we will care about those things very deeply in the next age 
more than anything else, if we did it with the right motives, we'll care about it mostly because what we have reflects what God thinks about how we loved him in this life. And that will mean everything to us. <clears throat> Let's look at Matthew seven twenty-eight. This is the very end of the Sermon on the Mount. And I love this verse because in this verse, you know, Jesus has been talking probably for quite some time. Remember, he he went up and sat down on a mountain. And so that's your indication whenever it's a 30-year-old man and he's sitting down on a mountain, he's going to be talking for a minute, right? And so he's been talking for a while. He's been teaching all of the principles that he's been teaching on the Sermon on the Mount. And here's what it says the response of the people are. Matthew 7, 28. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching. If we don't think about the things of God fully and correctly, we won't think about them at all. But if, we actually dig in and not just read the Bible, but actually try and understand it. And not just the easy parts, but all of the parts. If we really dig in and we make ourselves available to God and we not just read the Bible, we actually try and understand what it's saying. The text says amazement will be the results. Our imagination will be populated we'll find ourselves having a hard time turning it off whenever we're thinking about God and how to serve him and how to get his attention and, and, and how to be a blessing and share it with as many people as we can. We'll find we have a hard time turning it off because amazement will fuel us and drive us to do things which we couldn't. Listen, church, I'm all for working and serving simply out of discipline. I think that's a very good thing. But I know this, a lover will outwork a worker any day of the week. If you love something, if you're amazed, if you allow your heart and your mind, your imagination to be amazed by the things of God, you're going to outpace everyone around you, I guarantee it. In the quality of your life, in the quality of your relationships, and in the quality of the impact you have on the world around you, you will outpace everyone because someone who's in love and passionate, you cannot stop that type of person. I love that. That's the, <clears throat> that's the last word on the Sermon on the Mount. They were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teacher's of the law. Church, I want to close this week with a word of prayer. And I just want to pray for us, continue praying for us as a congregation as we wind up this series next week and go into a new one. I just want to make sure that all of the work God wants to do uh, is finished in our minds and hearts. And so I want to pray and I want to, uh, <clears throat> I just want to invite you to come forward if you want to get recharged this morning, if you want to have an, a new and fresh impartation 
of energeo, energy, life, power of the Holy Spirit, I just invite you to come forward and receive from the Lord. I'm gonna pray for us this morning and Shelly's gonna close us with a song. And so if she's finishing that song, feel free to come up and just ask for more from God. Let's pray. Father, thank you. We receive your word and your instruction. Father, I just pray that we would come with a spirit of expectancy this morning, expecting God to be faithful, coming with an open mind and heart. We're open to a new and fresh work of God in our minds and hearts. And Father, we leave with an expectation that things really will be different. Not necessarily dramatic, not necessarily obvious, but as we make the small little changes in how we approach you, there will be small little changes that transform not only our inner chemistry, our inner emotional chemistry, but our external circumstances. So Holy Spirit, we ask for your help in these final two weeks. Just help us to get refocused and redialed in on these things that you're calling us to do. They're not easy. It's not easy to do it consistently over time. It's important. And the results are worth it. So, Father, we thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.